The scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. My wife and I recently watched Inventing Anna on Netflix. Have you seen it? It's the story of Anna Sorokin, also known as Anna Delvey. For those of you who don't know the story, she came to New York City pretending to be a German heiress. She wore the most expensive clothes, stayed in the most luxurious hotels, and went to the most exclusive clubs and parties. And for years, she was able to fool many of New York City's elite. But in 2018, it finally catches up to her. After defrauding friends and banks and hotels out of hundreds of thousands of dollars, she was arrested and convicted of her crimes. Anna's desire to project this persona, this power and elitism, it ruins her life. She chose to pursue this desire above all else, and it, she became so enslaved to it that she was willing to defraud even those closest to her. She thought it would bring her happiness, but in the end, it led only to ruin. There's a scene where uh, Anna's in court and her attorney gives his closing argument. And her attorney says, there's a little bit of Anna in all of us. 
think that's true. We too can become enslaved to our own desires. We want to be validated and accepted, and so we try to project a certain brand to the world. But just like it led to Anna's downfall, this desire to be accepted, left unchecked, doesn't bring happiness. It just breeds anxiety and loneliness. Our post never gets enough likes. There's always someone who doesn't like us. And a negative comment can always cut straight through our happiness. This desire for acceptance can rule over us, and instead of bettering our life, it devours us. When we choose to seek acceptance or prosperity outside of God, it always leads to disappointment. We think it'll bring us happiness, but instead we become enslaved to our own desires. The same thing was happening to Israel in our passage for today. And in this story, God shows us the way to our deliverance. Israel had rejected the Lord as their king. They desired protection from the enemies and guidance for how to live. But instead of looking to the Lord, their true king, they demanded an earthly king. And Samuel, their leader at the time, warned them. He told them that they were rejecting the Lord and that they would regret it. An earthly king would take advantage of them. He would take the best of their crops and the best of their cattle, and they would become his slaves. But the people insisted, and so the Lord gave them Saul, this king whom they had chosen. But Saul had twice rejected the word of the Lord, and so chapter 15 ends with Saul saying to Sam, or with Samuel saying to Saul, "Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king." And so now, in chapter 16, with no one to lead them, Israel's on the verge of chaos. What we see in our passage for today is that we need the Lord's choice for king. The people rejected the Lord and chose their own king. They had hoped that he would bring them prosperity and security. But in the end, he brought only slavery, chaos, and death. And we're no different than Israel. Israel demanded a king, quote, that we may also be like all the other nations. How often do we too just want to be like all the other nations? We don't want to be that weird Christian and so we compromise our faith just a little to try to fit in. Israel demanded a king, quote, that our king may judge us. How often do we too look outside of God for wisdom and morality? How do you define your best life? What do you do for entertainment? How do you spend your money? Do you look to God for wisdom for these things? Or does your lifestyle look more like your non-Christian neighbor? Israel demanded a king, quote, to go out before us and to fight our battles. How often do we too look outside of God for protection and security? We look instead to our careers or our bank account. And these things we turn to become like little kings, people or things that we look to instead of looking to God. For Israel, it was Saul. For Anadelvi, it was power and prestige. But just like Samuel warned the Israelites, these little kings don't make good rulers. I recently read a book by Irvin Yalom, 
Uh, he's a preeminent psychiatrist and professor emeritus of psychiatry at Stanford University. And he describes this pattern that he's seen among young, successful people. Take a look at what he says. He says, to feel that they and their family are secure, these young, successful people, they no longer need one or two million in the bank. They need five, ten, even 50 million to feel secure. They realize the pointlessness and irrationality in earning more than they can, uh, or more when they already have more than they could possibly spend. But this does not stop them. They realize they are taking away time from their families, from things closer to their heart, but they just can't give up playing the game. It's never enough. We become consumed by an insatiable desire for more. When we make work our king, we become slaves to our work. And it's the same for anything that we make a little king. When what we most desire in life is pleasure or physical health or our best life, we become enslaved to these things. And so here's the point of all this. What Israel needed and what we need today is the Lord's choice for king. The choices I make on my own at best lead to disappointment when my little kings don't live up to their promises. It's only by God's mercy that it doesn't lead to broken relationships and eternal death. We need the Lord's choice for king to rule over us and bring us life. 1 Samuel 16 starts out with Israel on the verge of chaos. Saul, this king whom the people had chosen, had rejected the word of the Lord, and so the Lord had rejected him as king. And think about the chaos, even today, that comes when a nation's leader is killed or overthrown. Think about all the suffering that's happening in Ukraine right now. This was Israel's first shot at king, and it failed. What was going to happen next? Who would lead the people? Would they again be conquered and oppressed by their enemies? Would the nation descend into civil war? Things aren't looking good for Israel, but in the very first verse, we see God's mercy. Take a look. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Look at how gracious our God is here. Samuel is grieved by the state of God's people and the Lord provides a solution. He didn't have to. He could have left the Israelites to their own devices. He, he would have been entirely justified in doing so. They had rejected him as king. He could have let them be consumed by civil war and oppressed by their enemies. This could have been the end of Israel. Saul could have been their first and last king. But our God is the God of new beginnings. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He provides for us even when we don't deserve it, even when we outright reject him. He didn't leave Israel with the king they chose. He didn't leave them with the king they deserved. He tells Samuel, do not grieve over Saul. For I have seen for myself a king among Jesse's sons. And he tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem to anoint this new king. Now this is good news, 
but it's also a very dangerous task. Take a look at verse two. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. This is a dangerous task because Saul had already proven himself time and time again to be insecure and erratic. I mean, imagine being in Samuel's situation. You've seen how Saul has acted. He almost had his own son killed after a rash vow he made in battle. And then God tells you to go and anoint a new king in his place. You'd be right to fear for your life. But notice how Samuel responds. Look at the first thing he does here. He cries out to God. He's in distress and he doesn't let those feelings control him, but he doesn't ignore them either. He brings them to God. That's instructive for us today too. Obeying God might not put your life at risk this week like it did for Samuel, but when you follow God's choice for king, there will be a cost. Maybe that cost is popularity. Maybe it costs you something at work. When you feel anxious about these things, let the first thing you do be to cry out to God like Samuel does here. And look what happens next. God tells him to take a sacrifice with him so as to not raise suspicion. Again, God provides a solution. When Samuel grieved over Saul being rejected as king, the Lord answers by telling Samuel he has chosen a new, better king. And when Samuel fears for his life, the Lord answers by providing a way to travel safely. Now, God might not always give you the solution you want. I'm sure Samuel would have preferred God say, yeah, you know, you're right. Traveling to go anoint this new king, that's kind of dangerous. Why don't I have him come to you instead? Obeying God still required a lot of faith for Samuel. But God provided a way. There's another part of this task that required faith too. Look here at, at verse three. I'll go back, go back to verse three, sorry. Uh, so he says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and look at this next part. And I will show you what you shall do. He doesn't tell Samuel who this next king will be. He just says, go there and I'll show you what you shall do. Sometimes being faithful to God means trusting him when you don't know what's next. Maybe that looks like being honest with your coworkers and your clients, even when you don't know how that will turn out. Maybe that looks like not going on a date with that person who you know will cause you to compromise your faith, even when you know your options seem limited. Those aren't easy things. Samuel had to trust God for protection from Saul and he had to trust God to reveal whom it was he had chosen to be king in his place. But look at how Samuel responds in verse four. Samuel did what the Lord commanded. In the midst of danger and uncertainty, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. There's a strong contrast here between Saul and Samuel's behavior. When the Lord spoke to Saul, he did not do what the Lord commanded. When the Lord spoke to Samuel, he did what the Lord commanded. When Saul thought obeying God put his life at risk earlier in chapter 13, he rejected the word of the Lord. When Samuel thought obeying God put his life at risk, he faithfully obeyed. And when Saul had to wait in uncertainty for the Lord to fulfill his promise in chapter 13, Saul acted on his own accord. 
When Samuel had to wait in uncertainty for the Lord to show him whom to anoint, he faithfully waited. That's the kind of leader we need. And that's the kind of men and women that our city and our world needs. We need men and women who are faithful to God no matter the cost. We need men and women who are faithful to God even when it means you're looked down on or labeled backwards. We need men and women who are faithful to God even when there's a financial cost. When we refuse to bond with our coworkers over gossip or binge drinking, or when we obey God's command to make Sundays a day of rest, those things could cost us. And like Samuel obeyed God, even though all God said was, I will show you what you shall do, we need men and women who obey God, even in the midst of uncertainty, even when we don't understand. And the world needs men and women who, like Samuel, grieve over the state of God's people when God's people are unfaithful. Men and women who wake up early in the morning and spend earnest time praying that God might give us the leaders, not that we deserve, but that we need. The world needs men and women like Samuel. So there's this contrast here between Saul's disobedience and Samuel's obedience. But the main contrast in the story is the contrast between the people choosing their king and the Lord choosing his king. The people demanded a king and so they chose Saul. But instead of bringing them security and prosperity, it led only to slavery, chaos, and death. But in his mercy, God promises a new, better king. And the question that drives the story is, who is this king? Whom has the Lord chosen? Because that's the king we need. The tension deepens when Samuel meets Jesse's sons. Take a look at verse six. It says, when they came, so this is the sons came to Samuel, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And this right here is tied to the first verse in the beginning of this story. You can't tell in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's a little bit more literally, it says that I, the Lord says to Samuel, I have seen for myself a king among Jesse's sons. And here, Samuel sees Eliab, same verb. And when Samuel sees Eliab, he seems like a natural choice for king. He's Jesse's firstborn son, and he's apparently tall and either like a good-looking or strong-looking guy. And so when Samuel sees him, he says, oh, surely this is the one. Surely this is the one whom the Lord has seen. Look at verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's significant that Eliab's height is mentioned here. Saul is twice described as taller than any of the other people. It was a way to describe him as the natural choice for king. And this is actually not that different today. Pastor Aaron mentioned this a couple weeks ago. But only 14.5% of men in the U.S. are six feet or taller. And yet the majority of Fortune 500 CEOs are over six feet tall. 3,000 years later, and we still tend to value height in a leader. And it's not that height is wrong. It's just there are lots of good 
tall leaders who are great leaders, but there are lots of tall people who are horrible leaders too, like Saul. The issue is, do we look more to these natural markers or more to the content of their heart? And that's part of what's behind this famous phrase, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In the Hebrew, it's more literally, man looks by the eyes, but the Lord looks to the heart. And this means at least two things. First, it means that only God has the ability to see the heart. This is a theme throughout scripture. We never know what's truly in someone's heart. Only the Lord can see the heart of man. And second, this means that only God considers the right things. Man's wisdom is not always God's wisdom. We look for someone who is tall and good-looking to lead us. Anna Delvey was able to fool people for so long because we're so easily distracted by expensive clothes and confidence. We look by the eyes, but the Lord looks to the heart. Even Samuel, this holy man of God who, unlike Saul, faithfully obeys all the Lord tells him to do, even Samuel doesn't know whom the Lord has chosen. We need the Lord's choice for king because only the Lord looks to the heart. We choose the wrong kings. Left to our own devices, we choose likes on Instagram, a bigger bank account, and the wisdom of our culture. But these things never bring us happiness. In the end, just like for Anna, just like for Israel, these things lead only to slavery chaos, and death. We need the Lord's choice for king to rule over us and bring us life. Samuel sees Eliab, this tall, good-looking, firstborn son of Jesse, and he says, surely this is he. But the Lord says, I have rejected him. And so Jesse calls his next son, Abinadab. But the Lord hadn't chosen him. And so Jesse calls his next son, Shammah. But the Lord hadn't chosen him. And Jesse makes seven of his sons, one by one, pass before Samuel. But Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen these. And that's it. That's all of them. Imagine being Samuel. Imagine God says to you this afternoon, Go to Bethlehem, for I have seen from among Jesse's sons a king. And so you go, even though you know Saul might kill you for it, and God tells you to invite Jesse to the sacrifice and says he'll show you what to do when you get there. And so you manage to find Jesse, you invite him to the sacrifice, and you see seven of his sons, but none of these are the one whom the Lord has seen. What would you do next? Look at what Samuel does in verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. See, Jesse too doesn't know whom the Lord has chosen. He thought it was so unlikely that this youngest son was the one that he didn't even have him come to the sacrifice. He's left out of it entirely, left to care for the sheep while his seven older brothers join their father and distinguished guest. The word youngest is significant here too. 
In Hebrew, the word for youngest is the same as the word for smallest. So in contrast to Saul and Eliab, this boy is the smallest or the youngest of Jesse's sons. Jesse never even considered that this youngest one was the one whom the Lord had chosen. But the Lord sees not as man sees. And so Samuel tells Jesse, as we see, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And if we look at verse 12, we see that he sent him and he brought him in, and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the one whom the Lord had chosen. This is why Samuel sent, or the Lord sent Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint this king. And notice how this boy is described. It says that he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. So it's not that good looks are bad. It's not that God never chooses handsome people. It's that looks aren't everything. Our perception isn't everything. We can only look by the eyes but the Lord looks to the heart. The resolution to the story is in verse 13. Take a look. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Did you notice something in that verse? Up until this point, we don't even know the name of this chosen king. Even when Jesse speaks about him, he's just called the youngest. We're kept in suspense until this climactic moment when it's revealed that this chosen king is none other than King David, a man after God's own heart. Here was a man who would not reject the word of the Lord like Saul had. Here was a man who would not lead the people into sin like Saul had. Here was a man who would lead the people in God's ways and deliver them from their enemies. And so here's the good news of this story. God didn't leave them with the king they deserved. He gave them the king they didn't deserve. God didn't leave them with the king they wanted. He gave them the king they needed. God didn't leave them with the king they expected. He gave them the king he had chosen. And this king was only a shadow of the one who, to come, the king who was to come. The people had rejected the Lord as their king, but one day God himself would be born from the line of David. 1,000 years after Samuel anointed David in Bethlehem, this king was born in that same city. And unlike Saul, and unlike the Israelites, this king did not reject the word of the Lord. This king was the word of the Lord incarnate. Unlike Saul, this king did not disobey when his life was in danger. When the Lord sent Samuel to Bethlehem, he told him to take a sacrifice to protect himself from Saul. When the father sent the son to Bethlehem, he was that sacrifice. He was the sacrifice who did die a shameful public death. 
Like the Israelites rejected the Lord as their king, so Isaiah prophesied that this king would be despised and rejected by men. And like no one expected the Lord to choose David, so Isaiah prophesied that this king would not be desired or esteemed, but would be as one from whom men hide their faces. But this king is the one who would finally deliver God's people. There's a little bit of Anna in all of us. Left to her own devices, our choices lead to ruin. When we reject the Lord as our king and follow after these other little kings, we become slaves to our sin and deserving of death. But Jesus is the king who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Jesus is the king who delivers us from our savory to, to sin and brings us fullness of life. This is the king we don't deserve. This is the king we didn't expect. This is the king God has chosen. This is the king we need. Let us serve him with all our heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son, our king, Jesus Christ. We confess that on our own, we choose the way of death. We reject him and go our own way. Thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, but have shown us mercy. Thank you for sending your son to die that he might bring us fullness of life. By your Holy Spirit, we ask that you empower us now to serve him with all of our hearts. Do this for his sake, we ask. Amen.